Hi friends, welcome to the Artist Blend. Today we are talking about the art of crooning. So grab your mug and let's get talking. <laughs> This episode has quickly turned into ASMR, so ASMR. We Which should do. Was I know. Born of crooning. Exactly. I feel like, okay. I feel like we're gonna. Go we should there. do an entire. Not this episode, but we should do an entire episode with like, "Hello and welcome to the artist." I think <laughs> the listeners that we do have would all abandon shit. One hundred percent. I would do it too. <laughs> like two minutes, I'd be like, "Okay, I can't do this anymore." No, no, um, too much. But yeah, uh, hi everybody, welcome. Hey. Um, do you want to tell us about the coffee yeah, today? Yeah, today we're having Carver's breakfast blend, and I'm yeah. I'm excited to give my thoughts about it because I'm enjoying it so far. So yeah, but today um, we're talking about crooning, and by that we yeah. talk about um, big band and necessarily the art style of crooning music, which falls into the category of the like uh, Frank Sinatra, Tony, the late Tony Bennett, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. So many artists that we all know um, as the greats. Correct. Uh, the Rat Packs, yeah. uh, if you will. The Rat Pack. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and Easton has some history on crooning, if you will. Yeah. So let's go into that real fast. Yeah. So my portion of what I'm bringing today is sort of just like the how we got to crooning and its effects, its, its immediate effects on the industry. Yeah. And then Austin, I know, is going to take us into more of uh, how it's morphed yeah. and how we use it today and what its effects long-term have been and all that jazz. It's an open but, discussion. So. Um, all that literal jazz. Yes. And all that, that jazz. literal jazz. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, crooning is so centered around the microphone mm-hmm. um, and th- everything before my, uh, microphones yep. was, I mean, it was about tonality and projection um, and there's actually the I, this idea that for a lot of the Middle Ages, singing sounded just odd because when you don't have microphones and you don't have, um, in some cases, they didn't have a lot of the architecture that amplified sound the way yeah. that it does. Yeah. I mean, even the Greeks had that, but I'm sure in, in certain venues, they just didn't they just have the capability. Yeah. Um, and so there are some archaeological finds that lead us to believe that the style in those sorts of environments were nasal in a, some sort of nasal okay. that matched the woodwinds and the strings. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I would, I could see there that. were also in the 17th and 18th centuries a lot of European singers, um, and this is sort of the, the Eurocentric history mm. of, of music and singing. Yep. Um, and so honestly I'd, I'd be interested to find out how that relates to the rest of the world, but um, there you know the castrati. Yep. So anybody who does not, uh, <laughs> sorry, men who had been castrated as children, yes. and because of that, never had the uh, their voice never changed yep. when they hit puberty. Yep. Um, or rather, they didn't hit that they part just of never, puberty. They just never went through it. Um, they didn't fully it never develop. Happened. Yep. And so their voices were so unique, <laughs> and it just it was a an angelic style of singing yep. but you know when they found out hey we probably shouldn't be doing this to people <laughs> um the castrati you know died off yes. and that style was lost um 
thankfully. Yes, very thankfully. <laughs> uh, and then we kind of move into just the, the power behind the voice. Yeah. And um, there was a, a shift into how loud can you sing? Mm-hmm. How well can you enunciate? Mm-hmm. And do you have, have you been trained? Yeah. And so and that leads into a opera. Time, but... yeah, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and that brought us into that age. Mm-hmm. And so all of the, the best singers were all just really loud uh, because you uh, had to be. Um, I think of one of the relics of that being Ethel Merman. Oh, um, yes. I mean, coming into the age where microphones were mm-hmm. and you, they were being incorporated in new ways and different ways. Mm-hmm. But like on the front end, you know, she just Regal. screamed all the time and somehow screamed in a way that wasn't screaming yep. and it worked. Yep. Um, anyway, but that's putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> um, uh, but then we have the late 1870s, I believe. Yeah, in the, in the 1870s, three different people all at the same time invented the microphone, yeah. and all of them were like, you stole this from me, but it just happened, happened that, that all three did. of them had the same idea yeah. around the same time. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of uh, in- public feuding over this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so over the course of a few decades, microphones were being improved and the technology was really finding its footing in the market or not even in the market but in research yep. and they were figuring out this is how we can do this mm. and then that was also affecting the market as well interesting and by the 1920s they were able to use um like broadcast quality uh-huh. sound uh-huh. um and you know that we had the the boom of radio uh-huh. and um and because of that we were able to record what? in new ways and um, record music and, and play it in different ways. Yeah. And um, when they had that microphone, it changed everything because you didn't, you, you no longer had to project out the wazoo. Yep. You no longer had to over dictate over everything uh-huh. to be heard uh-huh. and understood, especially if you're recording with a band or an orchestra, like you're all recording at the same time. Yep. And so you have to be, it, there was so much more of a, physical aspect like where are you standing in the room it has that relate to the sound and all that jazz um all that literal jazz and um but when this microphone hit hit the the industry now you can have people right up on that microphone almost whispering yeah. and it was the first time that we were able to consume music that felt intimate yeah. because it sounded like it was to us mm-hmm. um there was a quote of a journalist in 1929 who said um, that uh, in regards to crooning, it was, um, quote, said to be peculiarly devastating in its effect on the heart of the emotional flapper, uh, end quote. And so it's it kind of swept a generation off its feet that we had these, um, they were mostly male identifying performers mm-hmm. that had this like soft sound that sounded like they were whispering directly into their ears. Mm-hmm. Um, often with like romantic themes and um, it sort of changed everything. Yep. And um, then you ha- it just swept up all of the competition. Yeah. And that was uh, a huge genre that was, I mean, really just created. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a new genre of sound um, and how the voice was interacting with instruments mm-hmm. and how we consumed music. Yeah. Um, so that kind of takes us up to the birth and boom of it. Mm-hmm. Um there are there were some people at the beginning that were critiquing crooning as a whole. The I mean, people who were very much a part of tradition 
um, were very much against it. They called it uh, a, a degenerate form of singing, oh and, they, and other people quoted it as imbecile slush. <laughs> um, and then another another person said it was whiners and bleaters defiling the air. Oh my! So there were people that were very much against Karen this. quoted. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Um, and it was, you know, people hated it mm-hmm. and people loved it. Yep. Um, but you can't deny how much it changed. Absolutely. Everything. Yep. Um, so that brings us to you. I love it. Yeah. Um, you were talking about the microphone in the 1920s. Have you seen this guy on TikTok who ha- he has found a 1920s microphone and has hooked it up mm. to modern tools? And a lot of people would probably assume, oh, with modern technology, it sounds different. No. The microphone literally gave it. So everyone knows that radio voice sounding that it might have been like you're at a baseball game type thing, right? Yeah. It's literally the microphone. It's not the person. Because Really? Because yeah, he has it hooked up and he has it just sitting there. And he's just talking. But it literally sounds like he has two microphones in one video I saw. And he's literally just talking. But it sounds like he's going back and forth and just like... It's the quality of the microphone what? that gives it that sound effect. So this idea that we have when you think of um, like 1920s, 1960, somewhere between 1920s and 60s, radio uh-huh. host or sound, it's literally the microphone that gave it a lot of the sound. Sure, the person has uh, qualities and um, attitude and atmosphere within how they sound, but the microphone effect affected that a lot. Mm. That said, um, I grew up listening to a lot of crooning music, if you will, um, because of my father. My dad plays in big bands and uh, always has that I can recall, um, at least in my life. So I was uh, heavily involved with listening to the Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., um, uh, the, the greats, as we mentioned earlier. But to me, each one has their own defining sound, much like artists nowadays do still. Um, Uh, But something interesting to me for a while is growing up and really being engrossed in music and being eclectic from a young age, if you will, uh, of listening to that and listening to classical music and the modern day music and things like that. It was fascinating to me that in the 2000s, 2010s, and even nowadays, it still happens. This is not bashing this kind of music at all. But when a song has a repeated, like, word or phrase six or seven times in a row, and you're like, okay, I got, I got the point. And that's not even the name of the song sometimes. like, Yeah. And then you find out it took, like, seven people to write it. And you're like... Uh. It took seven people in a conference room to go, I think we're just going <laughs> to say baby seven times. Are you okay with that, JB? We good with that? As so, long as it's accompanied by a O, o or a, like, every third baby, yeah, yeah. then I think it'll I work. Think, I mean, that's great. Uh, that's a terrible pitch meeting. But like, <laughs> um, in the crooning days, you ha- it, it, it resonates more with me because you had verses. You had, um, you had verses and then you had choruses that you came back to. And to me, that's storytelling through song, and I love that. Um, mm-hmm. And crooning style does that a lot. And you, your history is fascinating that when you listen to this podcast, I'm almost swallowing the mic just because of how close I am, whereas Easton mm. is far away. 
Now through editing, we sound similar, but for me, this is how I like to talk a little bit closer to the mm-hmm. mic. And crooning style, I th- I think of um, uh, a modern artist that I would think of as Billie Eilish, for example. She does not. Uh, yes, yeah, she, I was going to bring yeah, that up. She yes. is not. She is not a crooner to to the full extent of what it is, but she is right up on the mic to give her vocal effect. She's whispering. Yeah, she's whispering, and people love it. And yeah, it, it's fascinating that people are like, oh, I don't listen to Frank Sinatra, but you listen to that. That like, is crooning. It's crooning. It's the same thing. I have to butt in. Please. The, the, the reason I was thinking about it is because when I was looking into the history mm-hmm. and they were talking about how it felt like the, the Frank Sinatra or whoever it was, was whispering in their ear. Mm-hmm. Literally, Billy is, is whispering. And I think the reason it's so powerful, especially what was I made for, mm-hmm. which was using the Barbie mm-hmm. movie. It not only do you have this really powerful message that she's bringing forth, but it's com- it's accompanied by what sounds like just this this three a.m. deep conversation that you're having yep. because it's it is literally at a whisper, mm-hmm. and when it's you're delivering that intimate message mm-hmm. with combined with intimate vocal quality, yep. and it's just setting it's setting itself up to tell the story even better, um, and. Then I thought of I don't know if you've seen this TikTok. Oh no, the oh no enjoyment. Yes, I'm setting in. I have seen that. One. <laughs> it's so good, but that is like the the old school projection version Correct. before recruiting was invented. Correct, <laughs> that's its counterpart. <laughs> and and even um, uh, one that comes to mind that you wouldn't think that's not a crooner, but Judy Garland is often regarded as mm. as crooning as well. Um, and the reason I bring I bring that up is there's a uh, TikToker who sounds a lot like Judy, and she's singing mm. older oh, crooning yes. styles. But it's so funny because you listen and you're like, I couldn't, I could never imagine Judy Garland necessarily singing these songs. Yeah, but the way and the style this woman is doing it, it works. Yeah, and there are some incredible right? musicians on TikTok. Like, if, if you're not on TikTok. Do it because you're just gonna learn and find new new things. Don't get don't get stuck and don't Set doom a daily scroll. Letter. Yeah, that's what, that's I, what I do. <laughs> do you love enjoying a nice warm mug of your favorite tea or coffee? Then you're gonna love Carver Trading Company. Located in Orlando, Florida, they are proud to be veteran-owned family business that selects the finest green coffee directly from several growing regions around the world for a fresh farm-to-cup experience. They source coffee in a socially responsible and environmentally sustainable way that benefits the areas where the coffee is grown. From light roast to dark, including blends like Colombian, Donut Store, and a Costa Rica selection, they also provide decaf and a wide variety of tea blends that pair perfectly with any rainy day or cozy evening with a good book. They also have gift cards available, making the perfect gift for that coffee or tea lover in your life who is, let's say, particular with their drink preferences. Not only are their products delicious, but they are wonderful people too. Definitely fit the good beans category in our books. So check out the link in our show notes for a 10% off discount today. Crooning in my mind, it just has this impact and only because of the season we're going into, a lot of holiday music is still done in the crooning style because it, because of the beloved recordings of Frank Sinatra or um, Bing, uh, Bing Crosby singing Christmas songs, people attain uh. that 
for lack of a better word, people attain that antique vibe of Christmas with those kind of songs. So I find yeah. that even with uh, newer artists like Michael Bublé or the late Tony Bennett, they all have different styles, but they fall within the same category. And I find that mm-hmm. fascinating because for a while, to talk, talk, talk on him for a minute, Michael Bublé came, came into the world as a crooner, but then he tried to like pop some things and it didn't work. So he went back, <laughs> he reverted back to what he grew into and what he did. But it was fascinating of an interview I saw of him one time and he was in high school and he said that he was at the gym and he had headphones on and he would pretend like he was listening to some heavy metal stuff and be like, yeah, yeah, this is good. But he said in his ears and in his headphones, he'd just, ah, fly me to the It's like, so he'd be <laughs> acting like he was listening to something really hard and it was something like that. And in yeah. my mind, I don't care what I'm listening to. I'm going to move and <laughs> act like whatever I'm listening to. But it's fascinating that he, from a young age, was already listening to music like that. Yeah. But also, crooning music, to segue into another topic, crooning music and big band really isn't popular other than cruise ships and bar scenes. And what I mean by that is oftentimes you'll have a crooner uh, artist accompanied by a pianist, and that's it. Because uh, it, it can be done simpli- simply with a piano or a big band yeah. orchestra, either way. Um, I remember in my first degree learning that with the invention of the microphone and um, <laughs> the orchestra no longer had to be down in the pit. Mm. They could be behind you. Because with the microphone, you could sing louder than them with the projection of the microphone. Yeah. When it was, uh, and it's still done in in a sense now uh, with musical theater and the uh, orchestra being in the pit. Yes, we're miked. Yes, they're being projected through speakers versus only being heard. But in opera days, you had the orchestra in front of the stage and below so that the sound went behind them versus if they were on stage, you wouldn't have been able to hear any singer. And as a fellow person who trained to be loud versus having those intimate moments like musical theater can allow for, um, it's fascinating to me sometimes because loud is what I know when I'm singing sometimes. So it's like, you have to to be intimate here. I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm screaming in your face, but this is just what's coming (laughs) out. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it's it's just a fascinating subject to me um yeah. for personal reasons but also just where is it where where is it going because you also have artists like Freddie Mercury for example who wrote a lot of the the queen songs by himself uh-huh. and again coming back to the subject of a particular artist who had a song named baby uh ooh, 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 uh <laughs> it's it's interesting that we're going back into a musical era where people want the lyrics, where people want to connect with the words that are in the yeah. song versus just a beat or anything. I noticed that too. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the pop songs are um not all of no, them, not and by maybe means. not even most, but a uh a, a staggering amount of big hits lately. Mm-hmm 
I feel like have a lot more to say. Yeah, they have a lot. Than they, they have, have a lot in more the past to say. Decade or two, they have a lot more meaning behind them instead of just being a popular hit and chucking them out. And that's yeah. something I noticed too: is artists don't release as often now as in the two thousand two two thousand tens. It seemed like, oh, they just had a CD. They have another one. Like they're just yeah. checking out songs at this point. And now it could be months to years before you have an artist release another album or anything like that. And sure, that comes from writing. It comes from taking time to record things. But oftentimes it's literally just because they they have something to say, but finding the right words takes mm-hmm. takes time too, which is rightfully so. Instead of just eight people sitting around going, ah, yes, we'll do it this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, this is very much a sidebar. No, yeah. Um, but welcome to the artist blend. Um, the, you mentioned how, um, you know, you have your catchy pop uh-huh. era, uh-huh. which I don't think there's necessarily a start or an end to it. Not I really. mean, I, at first I was like, well, maybe late nineties. And it was like, no, no. 80s, and I was like, seventies. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> you know, with disco, even disco had all the, and, and further back as well. Maybe, maybe disco is sort of the, Maybe that was the beginning of like repetitive po- possibly nonsense lyrics. I, th- I think it might have been know. the the. You're more of a music history person than I. Am. I I think disco sort of led to it, and maybe it's because of the introduction of um, percussion heavy beats versus orchestral, yeah, um, or even symphonic backing. So yeah. really, after crooning had its day, and then it's this heyday. other thing came in. Because you yeah. you even had influxes and fluctuations of acapella music being popular mm-hmm. again, so it's really just weaved in in and out of yeah. popularity. Because you have groups do it now, so. And I wonder. So, we, I don't know. I this could be very much anecdotal yeah. in nature and not actually based on numbers mm-hmm. or statistics. But at least, like what we're, what we're saying right now is, I feel like both of us in our anecdotal experience have noticed like a, a sort of a resurgence of, of lyrics that mean something yeah. um, and kind of going away or not totally, but uh, a less, less domination uh-huh. of the pop formula, uh, I guess, yeah, turning into hits. Uh-huh. Um, but s- say that is true. Yeah. Um, and it's not just our experience or thought at the moment. I feel like that almost mirrors the, evolution from uh golden age to more experimental very much song structure much. in the theater world <laughs> you have um your rnh era and um that you know it's very yep. basic structures and if it wasn't catchy it wasn't good mm-hmm. according to them yep. if, if the if the audience members didn't leave yep. with one of the tunes yeah. humming in their head mm-hmm. then it was not going to be a hit mm-hmm. in new york mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Gypsy happened yep. and, and oh. Sondheim stepped on the scene Gypsy. and started to change things. And, so good. Um, yeah. And, and then things became more about the art of it all. It's true. Um, not that there's not art no. in the structure and the formula, yeah. but it's just a different experience. Exactly. Um, and it, to, to me, if that is true, our experience right now, I feel like that does kind of mirror that mm-hmm. into that new age. Mm-hmm. I mean, of you exiting structure. Yeah, you have 1965 for anybody who is a musical theater history fanatic or even af- uh, affiliated with it. 
1965 is supposedly the year that everything mm-hmm. changed. But you have things that were before, and then you have things after that were still golden age, but not. So it's it's used as a rough year to sort of give it a timeline, or even just I will just say it's this year. But mm. it it's it it is fascinating. Correlates very very nicely to what we're discussing as far as a resurgence of people connecting and maybe even craving better lyricism of emotion versus just, oh, this is a catchy tune and I'm going to make it into a playlist for somebody I like. But (laughs) versus, oh, I'm actually having very deep thoughts because of these lyrics or these lyrics touch me in a very deep way emotionally because of a Mm -hmm. certain subject matter or anything like that. Um, So... I I feel that it, this this whole episode is about crooning and the style of it, but I truly feel that if we didn't have crooning, we wouldn't have an appreciation for uh, the modern, as we've called it, resurgence of lyrics, lyrics that matter to the listener and mm. the... Um, uh, intimate. There's the word I'm looking for. The intimacy that comes from yeah. being so close to the microphone, or like you were uh, saying earlier, whispering into the ear of the listener. Um, mm-hmm. Because e- even songs that are that way and released on CD or <laughs> CD, who am I? Yes. <laughs> um, cassette tape. No. <laughs> uh, it, the Victrola. Yeah, yes. I say. <laughs> um, any song that's released. Even in concerts where the artist isn't is being projected very loud so everyone can hear, people are still mm-hmm. having the same effect and emotions from the song. So it can yeah. go into the subject of it's not entirely the intimacy, but it's the relation of what they feel from the intimacy that still makes them crave that listening and crave going to those experiences. And maybe even being in a room with thousands of people who have the same feelings towards yeah. the lyrics. Um, something that I think about when it comes to that is the modern Swifties, for example. <laughs> it, her Eras tour has been very popular because of the amount of time that she's put into it, for one. But the videos that I see of people just having these literal, vis- visceral and violent reactions to some of her songs i'm like they're feeling it i mean go yeah. go off <laughs> i do that with yeah i mean people were doing that with queen exactly. and people were doing that with i mean every single major artist exactly. of the past the the, the mega artist yeah. rather <laughs> not even major artists and then we can we as humans now thinking oh that's music you can listen to a mm. classical piece and start crying and you don't know yeah. why but you do yeah there's no words so what is it? Mm-hmm. So I think it comes back to the music side, but for this episode's purposes, crooning led us to a style that allowed us to feel deeper emotion through through poetry in some ways because of yeah. certain songs being stylized that way. So yeah, yeah, it was a new, and not even a new art form, but a different way, a different tool in in the art form that existed. Mm-hmm. 
I think this entire season is just nothing but but like tools for artistry. And yeah, I like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's fun. But yeah, that's that's well, thoughts cool. on crooning. So that's crooning. Yeah. <laughs> Do we talk about the coffee real fast? Yeah, sure. Um, I when I opened this bag mm-hmm. the first time, I got Fruit Loops. You can't. I mean, uh, notes are individual <laughs> to everybody. Um, the bag just says bright, balanced, and smooth, okay. which I would agree. Um, it's a very light roast, yep. uh, and I I don't know if I I don't know. I just get Fruit Loops. <laughs> That's all I get. Um, so to everybody, before uh, we started recording this, I told Easton I get bread. So he got Fruit Loops, and I got bread. bread. Um, sweet bread. It's, it's just very sweet bread. Um, no, it's it, it is light. It is bright. Um, it is a delight. No. <laughs> I like I'll it. Give it that. Uh, you gonna start doing jingles, yeah, right? Huh? It's it's. I almost get more nuttiness, but it is it's so light, which is interesting. So yeah. typically, medium roast has more of a, a nutty bite to it, but I like it. Yeah, it's good. I like this one. Um, I nor I feel like breakfast blends can just be so generic. They it's can just be coffee. Yeah. Um, but this one, it's nice. Mm-hmm. It has its own breakfast it's identity. It's close to tea, like tea-like in the lightness. Yeah, it's another one of yeah, those, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, its flavor profile is a lot more than its roast mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of America, American coffee. Yeah. Like the uh, the first few waves of coffee were like, how dark can we get this <laughs> bean? Let's but this, chew it's this so coffee. light that yeah. it actually has a flavor profile yeah. beyond smoke. I like it. Um, <laughs> beyond smoke. Yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, as usual... Um, you can get 10% off Carver Coffee yes. if you want to try this or any others. Mm-hmm. Um, our link is in the description, mm-hmm. as usual, mm-hmm. along with our social media stuff mm-hmm. and all that jazz. Um, but you can get 10% off and a portion of what you save we get. Um, so that helps support us as well yep. and supports a really cool coffee company um, that has been doing some really good stuff um, and supports veterans. And um, it's just a good group of people. Yeah. And what was the other thing about Carver? Yeah. Oh yeah, they they were the first episode that we did uh-huh. was covering Carver. The first few episodes I think yep. were all Carver coffees. Um, so we've been with them since day one, mm, six months and, ago, and um, we we've got another Carver coffee, Ca- Carver coffee coming in nice. a few episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Stay so tuned for that. that so, well, I think I'll get us out of here, Easton. Everybody, raise your mugs. Or if you're driving, be careful. Uh, <laughs> Be good beans and drink good beans, everybody. Have a good have a great day, everybody. Or have a great day. As the creatures have say. Have a great day. Got <laughs> Alright, bye. The Artists Blend theme music was written and produced by Christopher and Sarah Bailey of Well Wishes Productions, a Nashville-based boutique production company specializing in multimedia production, live event contracting, studio, and live vocals. Find Incognita's infamous adventures on Amazon Prime and its soundtrack on all digital platforms.